This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Hey folks, guess what? The Detroit Women of Comedy Fest is back, baby! We're going to be streaming across Planet Ant's channels on June 4th and June 5th. That's their Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, you get it. There's going to be so much funny stuff. We're talking sketch, stand-up, podcasts, live stream, workshops, special guests. Head over to DetroitWomenOfComedy.com to find out how you can join the fun. Yeah! Hey there, this is Justin from Worst in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get into some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worst in the Industry are their own, and are in no way representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network, or Planet Ant as an organization. Yell at us, not them. Thanks, and enjoy the show. So, uh, like I said, I started watching uh, Next Generation again, and I love it. Uh, I was uh, texting uh, my girlfriend about it while she was at work because I was by myself, and uh, I came to a conclusion. Um, so this is it's, it basically Next Generation is where we're introduced to the Ferengi. Uh, and they're like, they get like pointed as like an anti-Semitic trope, which I think is like a bit of a reach, personally. Yeah, but given they, Gene Roddenberry's past, yes. Yeah, and Gene Roddenberry and his political beliefs. Um, yikes, big yike. Yeah, well, he's he's a good guy. He's a socialist, but uh, yeah. yeah, Gene Roddenberry's good man. But uh, the Ferengi, they have like very specific. Uh, ideas about sex and gender and they see uh they see fucking security officer uh tasha yar natasha yar and they're like i'm gonna do my best for angie they're like they arm their women and work with them and force them to wear clothes and i was like in that moment so like as the scene progresses like they're they're going back and forth and the whole time I'm thinking like, so Frankie, Frankie women are just like getting rawed with their titties out like every day. Yeah, yeah. Frankie women are just kind of like brood mothers, free free flapping it because I don't think Frankie have tits, but they do, they do. I can confirm. <laughs> and. I was you, thinking, you like, find a subreddit that there's was, a lot that... of there's a lot of interspecies relations in Star Trek. It's like been happening since the original series with Kirk. Yeah, Kirk getting his dick wet in every green pussy in the galaxy. I was like, I might want to fuck, you know, throw my hat into the Ferengi ring, you know, see what's up. Like, I I feel like I could do that. I don't know if I would date one or marry one, but I I could definitely see like you have. I'm just saying, you have a glass or two. Of fucking Klingon blood wine, and you know all bets are off. So she's like Jody Arias, then. Yes, that was my <laughs> thought. Is that it would be okay. a lot like if if Casey oh, so Anthony's entrepreneurial spirit was slapped onto Jody Arias, it is that kind of woman, and like that is the kind of <laughs> I could see myself having a passionate affair with on a on a space station on a mining colony and i was telling tyler 
I was like, you know, hey, like, I probably, you know, Frankie women, they don't, they don't work typically. They don't typically have like jobs. So like, you know, it would have to be like, oh, I'm like a space trucker. And I, I come into this, this commerce station and I, you know, take my space trucker hat off and I slap it down on the bar and I, you know, order a drink and the, the proprietor's a Ferengi and his, his daughter is a, he's, you know, like hanging out in the back and I, we make eye contact and then it's just steamy trips to the holodeck from there. It's, I mean, given the nature of Ferengi, she would 100% be a lot lizard, so, uh... uh no, they don't work, though. They don't, they don't engage in acquisition. The w- women do not, en- okay, well, um... Yeah, then, then you might have a chance there, buddy. You might be able to get some of them flappy, flappy Ferengi, Ferengi titties. Ferengi, there are a lot of Ferengi who, oh, just, like, they own a bar, like, that's their thing. Deep Space Nine, the main character, the main Ferengi character is a bartender. Yeah. He calls his mom Nuki. Or, sorry, Mookie. Alright, that's a very specific detail from Deep Space Nine. It's a super, super deep cut, and, uh... Colin, you look like you had something else to say there. <laughs> you, got another, you got another deep cut to throw in? I do. So, pertaining to this episode, I feel like the Ferengi are a lot like the East India Trading Company... <laughs> Because, like, they've replaced, like, a code of ethics with, like, rules for the way they do business. And I'm reminded of uh, Rule of Acquisition 34, uh, War Equals Profit. All right, well, uh, Colin, I, I appreciate that last sentence, because with it you've handed me a... Uh... Well, what's this? It's, it's got two wheels and uh, a set of handlebars and a gyroscope. Oh, look, it's a Segway. Hello, hello, and ahoy, mateys. Welcome back to the Worst in the Industry podcast, the show where this parliament of dickheads attempts to sort through policy, both public and private, in order to show you and us exactly how it affects our lives, uh, policy both from the past and present. My name is Justin St. Peter, and I will be getting progressively sicker throughout this podcast. To my right... Colin Stanley, human ambassador to the Ferengi love commune that I will establish uh, in the far-flung future of post-scarcity humanity. To my right. Uh, I'm Tyler, and I'm currently drinking a White Claw because I got way too drunk Friday and Saturday nights, and I feel like this is a lighter option. That's nice. That's nice. I feel like... If anybody on Star Trek The Next Generation were to enjoy a delicious White Claw, it would pro- I think it would be Deanna Troy. I think I think she's really, you know, she's got that kind of like, you know, sophomore at a, a state college energy. That she's drinking a lot of claws. Beverly Crusher strikes me as a high life woman. Yeah, uh, 100%. Dr. Crusher? Oh my god. Oh, Do- Dr. Crusher? Yeah. She's crushing she high life. Crusher champagne of beers. Crusher, I hardly know her. Let's get off the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are back again. You're back again this week uh, with our part two of question mark of the East India Trading Company. Uh, Tyler, you want to take us away? Yeah. Uh, before we uh, before we get started on that, I think we could uh, could start a new little segment here. Uh, if y'all just want to say something positive that happened this week to y'all, just so we can start off with some positivity before we get into genocides. What? You know what? I like that. Um, 
Oh, I, this my, was actually a my, really bad week for me. <laughs> my cat let me hold him for a whole five minutes today, and then he started biting the shit out of me, so that's progress. That's nice. Nice. Tyler, do you want to go next? Um, well, I got a few things. Um, I went and saw Spiral at a movie theater. It was pretty fucking good. Uh, Big beer. Got a big beer. Big, got, uh, yeah, yeah. They asked me. They were like, "Yeah, do you want a taller or short?" And I was like, "Tall, obviously." Like, you know, I'll go to a movie, and they gave me a fucking thirty-two ounce beer. That's a fucking tall. How much did you pay for that? I was curious. I was like nine bucks or something like that. That's uh... it's it's too high, but it's not as high as I thought they were gonna charge you. Yeah, and then uh, I went to a wedding last night. That was a lot of fun. Um, and J Cole put a new album out on Friday. It's a Cole world, everybody. Uh, you should listen to it, and uh, thanks, J. Cola, for some reason you're listening to this podcast. God willing. Yeah, we're about to solve world hunger, because Cole put out a new album. I don't... I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I, uh... Well, 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 the jury's still out on that one. Colin, did you... Did you uh, oh, it, it doesn't I've have not... to be big, big good thing. It can be um, small good thing. I got Subway today. I was pretty excited about that. Nice. What's That's what's your good. Subway sandwich? What do you get? Well, my go-to, because I'm a man of uh, culture and taste, is the cold cut combo. Oh, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spicy and Italian's good too. What I did was I spruced it up. I got some fucking uh, bacon on there. Oh. Got some American cheese. Fucking. Mm. You get you get the re- you get the vinegar, you get the oil, and you get the mayo. Oh, and of course. if you're feeling real zesty, instead of mayo. You do Chipotle Southwest. Chipotle Southwest, best Subway sauce, highly underrated. Mm-hmm. You know what? I would have to agree. Yeah. Yep. Not enough people. Not enough people know about Chipotle Southwest. So that's oh. that's the best thing happened to me this week. I get to talk about Subway sauce. Also, also pro tip, uh, don't get lettuce. Get spinach instead. Way better. Got a hard disagree, but that's okay. we got to keep the podcast moving. <laughs> yeah, I- so let's... Let's get into some genocides, everybody, shall we? Yay. Spinach is the boot leather of leafy greens. All I'm gonna say. I love spinach. Fucking love it. it. First, you gotta cook it. Yeah. It's. I'm. I'm actually with Colin on this one. Spinach is a low tier leafy green. Oh, love spinach. So you give me an arugula, I will be. I I, I will take spinach over iceberg lettuce any day. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean. Unless you're giving me like the laziest salad in the world, a wedge salad, I will take. Uh, oh wait a second! Iceberg. Just saying a wedge salad is lazy. <coughs> but that's like saying simple things are lazy. Simple things can be good, and I think calling them lazy is is putting value on complexity that is undue. If you can't even separate the leaves of the lettuce, think, no, that think is about it this lazy. Way. No, no. A wedge salad is nice because you are, in the process of cutting up the wedge, you are mixing all the ingredients and the dressing, getting even coverage without it becoming wilted in the way that a tossed salad would before it got to you. Not if you are eating at any decent restaurant that serves their salad at a good temperature. You gotta ser- Salads are, are only good if they're ice cold. If you have yeah. like a lukewarm salad, go fuck yourself. All right. right. Well, speaking of salads, let's talk about a salad of human body parts. (laughs) Ah, a Guantanamo salad. Yeah. So, um, picking up where we left off, 
Um, so the Dutch East India Company, the VOC, uh, kind of got out of India for the time being. They still had some holdings in the in the Bay of Bengal and a couple other places, but mostly it was controlled by uh, the English and the French East India Companies. And, and what year is this, Tyler? Just for a, a quick right moment. now, we're at the we're at the beginning of the 1700s. Gotcha. Okay. So and they're using all those fucking masterless samurai to patrol everything yeah, yeah. All, all them badass ronin because the oh, yep. are cool <laughs> yeah so um at this point um the voc was starting to starting to decline quite a bit um one of the the main reasons is because trade with japan was diminishing because of uh diplomatic reasons they're having issues with japan and uh in China, this is right at the changeover from the Ming Dynasty to the Qing Dynasty, uh, and silk trade was brought to an end in China, and that was one of the big things that they traded with uh, with the Chinese. So, uh, one of the things that happened that really damaged them quite a bit in India was the Third Anglo-Dutch War which had the uh, Dutch pitted against the French and English forces. And keep in mind, these are not the country's military forces. These are mercenaries from the companies fighting wars in a country that's not theirs. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wait a minute. That's not Spain. You can't get the French and English to unite against them. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the battles were fought, and the the thing about the battles is they weren't meant to be real destructive because you know if you destroy a ship that cuts into your profits and if you're risking a ship to destroy another ship it's risking profit for everybody and that's not good for everybody's bottom lines so it started off kind of tame and then things started ramping up pretty quickly and uh, it eventually ended up being like they both lost like 12 to 15 warships a piece and uh, about 2,000 mercenaries on both sides not insignificant losses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and yeah, and the, the reason why it's like, oh, 2,000 doesn't sound like that much, like, this war lasted, like, 12 days or something like that. Like, so, um, the, the French and the Danish East India companies started setting up forts within the Dutch system on the Spice Islands and Indonesia and, like, Indochina kind of area. Um, and due to this, the VOC, the Dutch East India Company, closed the open pepper trading with Bantam, one of the islands in Indochina, uh, made deals with the sultans of multiple other countries so that they would only sell pepper to the VOC exclusively. So the VOC then decided to strengthen its military on the Malabar coast uh, and would eventually come to be known as Dutch India to push the English out of the area. And they would end up like signing multiple exclusive agreements with the ruling class of the area to trade exclusively with the Dutch. But in 1715, they renounced the treaty. And by 1721, they decided to take the L on the pepper monopoly and effectively handed it over to the English through scaling down their military presence. It's what a what a way to discuss that kind of business decision, right? Because it really it ultimately did come down to a business decision in this yeah. case. But it's eh, they just opted to take the L on that. Mm -hmm. They're like, eh, fuck it. Money's I was talking. 
I was talking to Colin about this earlier, about how funny all of this is, because basically what it is, is these companies are going to these islands, conquering them and slaughtering everybody there. And then, like, two years later being like, eh, this is too much work. Like, let's just get out of here. Wait, we lost $20 this week? Yeah. This is what I'm talking about, guys. This is what I'm talking about. The fucking VOC. They're the fucking Ferengi. It's like rule of acquisition. They get to the 60s or something where it's like, nothing's more important than your health. Except your money. Yeah. Like, it's... They're the fucking Ferengi. Yeah. And, like, so yeah, so they, they, they set up, and then they're like, eh, this is costing too much, whatever, let's get out of here. And then they get out of there, and then, like, one of the other countries is East India Company sets up there, and they're like, well, we can't let them have it. So then they go back and fight, fight a war over it, and then, like, two years later, they're like, eh, you know, we don't really want this anymore, y'all. And that's just over and over and oh, it's it's cyclical, over and over and over. Because and it's, you know, to re-illustrate a point we had last week, it is just as much about denying your opposition the opportunity to do something as that's, it is to having the opportunity to do it yourself. That's capitalism! It's cost-benefit yeah. analysis. Capitalism? More like crapitalism, am I right, fellas? <laughs> oh, ew, this guy with the jokes. <laughs> so, um, by the beginning of the 1740s, the VOC's revenues began to fall pretty significantly due to the constant military skirmishes eating into their profits. So, instead of scaling back on the militant side of their operation, they do what everybody would do in their situation. Genocide! Yeah, of course. Yeah. The 1740 Batavia Massacre in Dutch Chinizenmoord Chinizenmord, whatever, I don't speak Dutch, literally translated the murder of the Chinese. It was a pogrom that lasted for 13 days, and they ended up slaying about 10,000 targeting specifically the ethnic Chinese. During the genocide, the Dutch got lazy and placed a bounty for the other ethnic groups in the area to assist them at two ducats per head brought to them had to be specifically Chinese. I, there, the logistical issues of proving Chinese answers. Well, that's, I mean, same thing. Like, uh, when they talked about the, the, like, the practice of scalping and taking scalps in the Americas, it's like, yeah, a lot of times you just found somebody with fucking black hair or from, like, another tribe uh, because yeah. you're going to get paid fucking regardless. Nobody was going to double-check your work. But, like, like, well, yeah, we'll pay this guy. He killed at least somebody. He brought so, a scalp. Yeah. It's like in Inglorious Bastards. Like, how do they really know they're Nazi scalps? Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's why we need a blockchain to verify oh. the validity scalps. Of, of scalps and or heads taken during a punk row. Hey, do you have $6.5 million and enough power to, you know, provide for a small city for a year? I can provide you this receipt that says you own the Mona Lisa. All right, cool, here you go. Do I own the Mona Lisa? No. No, you no. own the receipt that says you do. See, uh, the only the only NFTs I buy are Dilbert NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> and more specifically, the ones where he um, admits fault for financing 9-11. Uh, that's a good one. I like the Farside NFTs. 
uh, <laughs> where they just where it's it's uh, it's the cow tools uh, cow strip, <laughs> but instead of it being cow tools, it's like cow tokens, and it's just crudely, it's just like fucking rocks on a table, and you or, can feel like a real asshole. <laughs> or the one where Calvin and Hobbes admit that they did the 1993 Oklahoma City bombing. I don't know if Bill Watterson signed off on that one. Yeah, well, somebody did. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. The, genocide. Uh, Sorry, let's get back to the genocide at hand. No, genocide's done for now. Wait, no, no, Sick. not that one. The other one. No, not that one. The other one. So, uh, the VOC would eventually fall due to the trade with Asia eroding and, uh, an incredibly high mortality rate for working for them. What? Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> like, but they didn't it, have OSHA? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah <laughs> oh, they, they must have a really bad union rep. Right? <laughs> like, it was way more likely that you would die working for the English East India Company than working in the fucking coal mines. And that says something. I mean, it, it also says something that it's more dangerous to be a pizza delivery driver than a cop in the U.S., but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's, the, that's thin the guy brown who invented crust. Kevlar. The guy who invented Kevlar was a fucking pizza delivery driver. He's like, yeah, I get shot at a lot, so I figured I might want to stop getting shot at. No, he didn't get, he didn't stop getting shot at. He was like, yeah, I might as well put another layer between me and the bullet. I love but fuck it, this pizza money's too good. I think they did it on Best of the Worst. I think that's where I saw it uh, for, from Red Letter Media. But they had a whole video where that guy, sh like, talks about the bulletproof vest, but then also just shoots guns and has, like, weird B-roll and skits. But, like, he, like, shoots himself, like, point blank in the chest with, like, a thirty-eight so many times in this video. He's like, I've shot myself point blank in my bulletproof vest over a, a thousand times at this point after five years of testing and research and five additional years of various prototyping and production i have shot myself in the chest over a thousand times it's like what the fuck is wrong with this guy and he's like when i was in vietnam and you're like there it is uh, yeah. that tracks All right. yeah roll the tape <laughs> Yeah, roll the tape. That explains everything. So, even though the VOC would, uh, would fall in the 1700s, the English East India Company remained. Through the saltpeter and the opium trade, they did basically what the uh, CIA does now. Guns and drugs. Yep, yeah, that, was, that was the bullets and heroin of the day. The boats and hose of the t of the age, if you will. Yeah. So one of the problems that the English East India Company ran into was that they had a huge trade deficit with China, like pretty massive trade deficit. Um. And so what they would do, because selling opium was illegal in China at the time, they would produce it and sell it, uh, in the Bay of Bengal on condition that it would go to China. So they wouldn't smuggle it directly to China, they would sell it to people, and then those people would smuggle it. So, 
So how would they, like how would they guarantee that they, that it made it to China? Was it just like they were kind of trusting these smugglers? It was like a it was like a China. It was like a contract. Yeah, and they they, they loved probably contracts. had contacts in China who yeah. like oh I don't sell opium or buy opium. I just work at the harbor and verify the opium got here. Yeah. So wait, are we gonna talk about the fucking opium wars? Is that what this is about? I'm getting into it a little bit. Okay. Fuck yeah. So, um, so, in 1799, they were averaging moving about 900 tons of opium per year. It's a lot of flowers. It's a lot of fucking opium. No, not, not, not the flowers. Like, dead, raw fucking opium. Oh, I know. It's, I mean, the, the, the processed poppy to get to the opium point is like, that's, that's... Yeah, this is nine, 900 tons per year of raw, pure opium oh this, they're not cutting it yet no oh my god Gonna come. stop getting so excited about the idea of pure opium Colin. why because you're not allowed amazing. to smoke opium i don't want to do it a lot or often but i feel like it would be an enlightening experience to try smoking opium for somebody unaffiliated with the corporate entity that is worst in the industry podcast llc i'm gonna edit this out of the podcast and then give you an atomic wedgie using a high well (laughs) (laughs) i I hate how often i have to be the friend that's just like brings out the spray bottle no opium (laughs) you you act like yeah, I, oh, what, I, I'm acting like this isn't the first time I've had to yell at you about not smoking opium. I'm just saying, we know, I feel like we could find a person that we're familiar with who could get it to us. No. I don't no. think we should yeah. do that. No. Yeah? No. Yeah, buddy? Tyler, stop encouraging this. We are not smoking opium. Wait, Tyler. <laughs> no. Cut the podcast. Cut the, cut the mics. Tyler, we no. need to have a conversation. No. Related to what we're talking about. <laughs> So, by 1838, they were averaging about 1,400 tons of opium per year, and the Chinese implemented a death sentence for opium smuggling. So this led to the first opium war, fought between the uh, East India Company, English East India Company, and Chinese forces, leading to the British annexing Hong Kong and legalizing opium trading to it. And then the second Opium War came, fought by the French and the English East India Companies, one against the Chinese, legalizing the opium trade to all of China. So this is literally the same exact situation as to what America and other Western countries have done in countries like Afghanistan and Vietnam, where they're like, oh yeah, there's a ton of drugs being produced there, and they're a huge source of money and drugs for these, uh, you know, these... Uh, in some cases, terrorist groups, but other t- times, just like non-establishment and non-like uh, authoritative groups, like local militias and whatnot. Uh, but also, it's a huge source of money for us. So yeah. that's that's why we're like, no, you can't shut it down. I gotta pay a warlord in Somalia tomorrow. I gotta Basically. bring a pallet full of dollar bills to this Iraqi warlord. Yup. So. They did all that, 
And that's all cool. Was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but at the same time that they were royally fucking up China, they were also royally fucking up India. Because that's the what they're good at. In the, in the 1770s, they called, or they caused the Bengal famine. Which was because the East India Company was telling farmers what they can and can't produce on their land. So, they told everybody, hey, you gotta do, you gotta do, you know, pepper, you gotta do nutmeg, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. And nobody was growing, like, food? It was all spices and bullshits. And of the grain that was produced, they were hoarding all of it to make a profit of it. The East India Company. This led to a third of the local population, 10 million people starving to death. And, uh... And what, and what year are we at right now, Tether? This is 1770. Okay. Because this, this is not... This is the first time that we cause a, uh, a famine in, in Bengal. But it will not be the last time. No. 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 No, I there's a... I thought this was going to be like the Irish potato famine where they only had tigers to eat. I thought you were going to say they only had football players to eat. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> no. It's hard to get through all the pads. <laughs> God damn crack it, them open like a fucking king crab. crab like a crab? <laughs> Alright, quick. Inside. What would be easier to eat, a tiger or a football player? Football player. Yeah, Cat, football cats player. Cats aren't good eating because of all the urea in their meat. How do you know this, Colin? So about this Bengal famine, let's, let's get back to <laughs> So, I already look like Ed Kemper. I don't want to talk about killing and eating cats. Yes, Colin is Ed Kemper. Moving I'm on. The local bumblebutt. <laughs> so, um, after this and after other issues, which we'll get into here, uh, the Indians, uh, ethnic Indians, decided to re uh, rebel. So, there's a couple reasons why. They, they were real upset. Um, one of the chief reasons being this company coming to their country and acting like they own it. Like, that's kind of not cool. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's probably very few people on the planet who'd be super happy about that. Yeah, and uh, also the English didn't respect um, their Hindu and uh, Muslim faith which is a problem when you try to, like, you know, convert a whole country to a different religion. Just a little, Yay, just yeah, a little, just a little bit. bit. So, uh, literally entire units of the uh, Indian-British armed forces revolted and murdered their leadership. Fuck yeah. Oh, uh, is this the Sepoy Mutiny? Yeah. Ah, I remember that. It's a good one. S so, um, like I was talking about earlier, one of the issues that they had is they criminalized traditional religious practices, which me and Colin argued about for a while. Uh, we won't I get into it. I don't know if we argued. I... We were on the same page, but... We have some differing ideas about moral responsibility and moral authority. So one of the one of the things that they made illegal was uh, something called suti, uh, which was they would literally burn widows to death, or burn women to death 
if their husbands died. And they replaced it with legal remarriage, which were not for trying to step on people's traditional religious issues or traditional religious practices, but if you have an issue with it, you probably shouldn't walk in there like you fucking own the place and criminalize it. That's kind of a shitty way of doing it. The, the you know? term, like the, the term of this concept that's important to remember is the idea of cultural relativism and that what is morally and ethically correct is based typically upon what is acceptable within your culture. So not to say that we think women should be burned alive uh you know once their husbands die because they're seen as like sullied and owned and like property because we don't think women should be treated that way however we don't believe that white people should be walking into a country and dictating the way that their culture should act and behave based on our different separate set of morals and ethics it should be a decision that they're allowed to make uh, much like what is dictated in the prime directive of uh, the Federation Starfleet. So, I'm not saying that Star Trek has an answer for every situation, but it seems like a lot of the time it does. I, I, I don't want to be a walking disclaimer here, but for the record, worst in the industry is against the burning of widows alive. We just and said 100%. that! That's yeah. what I just said! It's, I'm just, I'm being explicit, Colin. No, and we were, we were we were talking about it earlier, and the thing that I came up with, um, if you want something like that to stop, is putting sanctions on on a company on a country and saying, hey, like, we won't trade with you if uh, like or like we'll put like mass tariffs on uh, like luxury. Yeah, goods. we, we so talked it, about yeah. cash because a big part of dealing with these kinds of things, right? If if we're gonna talk about it and like. How we would like, like, let's say, you know, just throw a fucking dart at the board. How we would, like, want maybe the U.S. to deal with, I don't know, fucking Israel. Yeah, let's just think Israel. Like, we don't want to do anything that's going to hurt more people. Like, when you impose sanctions, like the sanctions we've imposed on countries like Iraq or Cuba, um, <clears throat> you can see that oftentimes it doesn't change how they behave, often reinforces it. And the only outcome is a bunch of poor people starve to death. So what you do is you, you don't go after what is necessary for the country to operate, but what is necessary to enable the leadership of that country. So you take out the basis of accumulated capital. In this case, the people who would make the most money, the cultural and local and regional leaders who would be supporting and enforcing this practice more than likely are going to be the people that have a big stake in the spice and tea trade because that's the majority export at the time. They're going to be the people making the decisions in the first place. They're the people dealing with the Europeans in this regard. So if the Europeans didn't want this widow burning practice to continue, they should have given out harsher terms for these kinds of transactions as opposed to outright imposing their, their code of ethics or starving people to death. Um... But the other issues that they had beyond that was um, they, the English East India Company tried to mass convert everybody to Christianity in the country, which is incredibly shitty. Um, and the straw that broke the camel's back was the rifle cartridges that they would give to these uh, Indian armed forces were greased with pig and cow fat. 
and being a Muslim and Hindu population, um, you to use these cartridges, you would have to bite the paper off of the top of it, and it being greased with pig and cow fat, you get that, you ingest it, um, and they see that as polluting themselves. So, uh, the Indian rebellion came to a head, killed a whole lot of people, a couple wars fought over it, and um, but eventually it did work, and the East India Company, English East India Company, would dissolve due to parliamentary bullshit, the East India Stock Dividend Redemption Act of 1873, and formally dissolved the company in 1874. And this is, and, like, this is, uh, again, like, something that we see time and time again, where a private company is working on, obviously, their own behalf to make money in a specific field, but also working on behalf of a state, in this case, the English, uh, the British Empire, uh, the same, much the same way that um, in the occupations, that the American occupations you see in the Middle East, you know, it's not, like, technically, like, that's what they're they're saying right now about Afghanistan, specific, that they're like, Oh, we're pulling out of Afghanistan. And, I mean, we're not. There are still troops on the ground. It's still talking about troop patrols, diminished troop patrols. But what they're doing to replace those troop patrols is hiring more private contractors. So they can say, yes, America is leaving the Middle East. But they're leaving only to pay people, quote-unquote, unaffiliated with the government to do the same thing there. And more often than not, the people who they're paying to do it used to be part of the government or the military so it's like all right well i'm quitting worst in the industry guys no longer will be associated with your podcast uh and i won't be uh doing your podcast anymore however i'm now a private contractor you're going to pay me per episode to be a guest on your podcast and i'm always on your podcast uh, like it's so it's it's a technicality that they use to kind of absolve themselves a lot of the guilt of these uh horrific acts of these genocides they commit yeah. Yep, entirely. And that's uh, kind of all I got on the East India Company. I guess we can kind of riff about it and, you know, kind of talk about Yeah, I mean, what, so what it, one thing that I think we can kind of point out here is that, uh, I mean, yes, the East India Company dissolved in 1874, you said formally. Um, so the, India, or the, the British occupation of India continued well into the 20th century. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Pretty much until, like after world war Two was yeah. like the big the big uh exodus of the british and the dutch from india and it, it this this colonization of india and this uh imperialistic control of india was facilitated almost entirely by the east india company by a, a for-profit company acting in the name of and in the interest of a state government entirely it's, yep you know it, Welcome back to the worst in the industry, where one hand washes the other, episode after episode. Yeah, I mean that's the same thing, um, you know, that we just talked about, where it's like, you, like yes, after World War Two, you saw the end, quote unquote, end of the colonial period, where the last vestiges of colonialism and occupation of these these countries in uh, South uh, of, of the Middle East, uh, South and East Asia, um, they they didn't just leave; they were replaced. 
like yeah. with the French in Vietnam and uh, in Indonesia especially, um, yeah. you see like w- in the places where a private company could not be installed to do what the, the colonial power previously had been. Um, they usually uh, basically do Operation Gladio, but for like a local fascist element. Because again, yeah. this is like post World War II, Red Scare. Um, so there's a there's a great book that I've been meaning to read. It's been on my list for a long time. It's called The Jakarta Method. Uh, it's about Indonesia and the military coup that uh, America essentially did in Indonesia. It's the first big one that happens in the century. Um, basically, we took a the junior officer class, uh, historically speaking, in successful revolutions. It's always a junior officer class because they have an esprit de corps. They have a common cause and a common camaraderie and understanding of their role in the society they want to create. Um, and a lot of times we get lucky, and those are socialist or communist movements. Um, obviously, they still commit horrific things, but at least it's uh, closer to the kind of parody that we want to see. But uh, whenever the United States is involved, it's a fascist movement, like the one you saw in Indonesia, and like what happened with the the Contras down in Nicaragua, and what happened with the fucking you know, uh, Mujahideen in Afghanistan, and the you know the Baath Party in Iraq. It's we just do it time and time again, and it's. There's no real reason, there's no, like, moral or ethical obligation that we're fulfilling. There's nothing we're doing to actually help anybody. It's just to make sure that we can keep making money there. And by we, we mean all the friends of the government who's doing it. I'm sorry, guys. Do you want to talk about Star Trek more? No, no, I don't I don't want to talk about Star Trek either, Colin. You don't want to talk about Otho and how his fucking face is so weird and it makes me uncomfortable to look at? But yeah, uh, we may have a shorter one today, ladies and gentlemen, but it is uh, it is our pleasure to continue bringing this uh, parade of horrifying images and events week after week. <coughs> this uh, this time is commonly referred to as the age of heroic commerce, is what they call it. It was the first time that these companies would had the power that the East India companies had, and they could invade entire countries specifically for profit. Not just for, you know, we're trying to get this land, or we're trying to, you know, get this specific thing. No, we're going there specifically to set up commerce. And we will make as many bleed as we have to in order to sell our nutmeg. <laughs> I literally committed a genocide in Bengal just so I could make a fucking sweet make, potato pie in England. Making so many fucking pumpkin pies, goddamn. Jesus Christ. It's fucking awful, man. It's there the only thing uh the only thing worse than this would be uh that time that Wesley Crusher took control of the entire ship uh when they were infected with those uh carbon molecules that uh those those malformed water molecules that replicated the effects of alcohol and could be transmitted like a disease and he uh put up a force field over the over the doorway of the the engine control room and then they were almost all killed by an asteroid uh fuck you wesley crusher i hope they space you one day
Yeah, it would suck to have Will Wheaton in charge. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, uh... I guess the call to action would be uh, this type of shit continues today uh, with the cobalt mines for batteries and lithium mines and uh, diamonds. Like, it's chocolate, cocoa pods. We talked about it in our Nestle episode. Like, this type of shit continues to this day where fucking white people decide they have a thing we're not going to buy it from them. We're just going to go there, murder as many people as possible, take it over, and then we have it. Not them. We're not going to try to buy it from them. And I'm so glad, when Tyler told us he was doing this topic for the this, this two-parter, I was so excited because we have this uh, our upcoming oil series um, that I am like pulling all my hair and teeth out over. And that uh, I've asked Tyler and Justin to help with uh, as well. This is just that. This is, it's literally what everything that we describe here lays like the framework for how these oil companies are going to operate, um, especially com- uh, you know companies like Texaco and Chevron. There's there's currently a, an ongoing case with a a, a human rights lawyer Stephen Donziger, who is being literally prosecuted by a corporate lawyer for a a criminal offense, a criminal charge, because the government refused to press charges. They refused to take up the case. And so Chevron uh, has this judge who's a member of the Federalist Society, who they're a huge donor of. Um, That judge appointed um, a different judge and also a a Chevron attorney to oversee the prosecution of of this lawyer for daring to expose the uh, dumping of waste in Ecuador and the thousands of Ecuadorians they were killing outright and giving cancer to and poisoning through their their uh, waste disposal, uh, not even touching on the environment they ravaged to get the oil out of the ground in the first place. So uh, this kind of stuff still happening even today like 2021 still going on it's just different companies and different resources yeah the east india company is the catalyst as to why capitalism is so fucked up it literally is it is one of the main reasons uh that it I mean, got I, everything I mean, they're, got they're so fucked globally with capitalism trade is built I think definitely it's they they like I said like they're the framework right I I don't think it's their fault that things turned out the way they did I think the system of like this kind of capitalist ideal this profit motive like it was going to create those outcomes anyway and the East India Company was just the one, the earliest example of that happening that these material conditions exist and they have material outcomes and the East India Company and uh, the companies that would, um, you know, succeed them are just the outcomes of that process. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the East India companies. In, indeed, it was uh, primarily focused on the, the English or the British East India Company. But yeah, that was that was it. Some wonderful information brought to us by our very own Mama Bird, Tyler Zelinsky. 
<laughs> cool. Uh, awesome. I guess listen to the other great podcasts on uh, on our network here, Planet Ant. And uh, bye. bye. Love you everybody. all.